Good day, you're listening to Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal, and this is the 176th edition of the program. And on the show today, I will be sharing a conversation that I had with filmmaker Ivy Camille Manybeads Tsao, who speaks to the film Powerlands. Ivy talks about this incredible documentary that visits indigenous-based land struggles all around the world. There's stories that are weaved from Colombia to Black Mesa in Arizona to the Philippines. Common to many of the voices that we hear in this documentary is the ways that struggles for the land and against extractivism are playing out today. So we hear in the film about the ways that corporations largely driven by extractivist policies. Uh, For example, in Black Mesa, Arizona, we hear about indigenous voices who are opposed to coal mining. In the Philippines, we hear about, you know, systemic neglect of indigenous areas, but also the ways that mining companies are active in an area of the Philippines, Mindanao. This film is important because it gives a very... uh, personal sense of voices on the front lines around the world and you know voices that are talking about defending the land in the context of the realities of extractivist policies and the climate emergency that is taking place but also you see the connections in different places around the world it's award-winning film powerlands and it was really a pleasure to speak with Ivy about the project. So here is our conversation on Free City Radio. First to start, um, Powerlands does something really quite different from quite a few documentary films, I, I guess in two directions. One is just the scope and the scale of the geography that's covered in the, in the work. Um, and second, I do get the sense that there's a really strong effort that was made to um, prioritize deepening and understanding of how social movement processes processes happen and sort of the complexities of that in different cultural landscapes. I mean, that's a lot to accomplish in one documentary film. Um, <laughs> obviously, I, I like it uh, and it's awesome, respect. So maybe we can get into some of those points, but if you could first just introduce yourself and just give us a brief rundown of what Powerlands is and, and, and yeah, some of the main things you're trying to uh, accomplish through the, this work of film. Yeah, well, um, Ivy Camille Minibid So Yun Shia. Hi, I'm Ivy Camille Minibid So. Yeah, so I think with Powerlands, like this project started seven, well, I guess it's like going on eight years ago, but we worked on the project for seven years um, with Jordan Flaherty and Ava Jaswitz, uh, the producers, and myself, and as well as many other people on the team. Um, but it really started from a pinpoint of finding connection and solidarity between two locations, not being Columbia and Black Mesa. Um, Jordan had just come back from Columbia, and I'm from Black Mesa, and the first time we met, um, we sat down and we talked um, for about like two hours. And those two hours, we talked about the similarities and the differences. And it really just grew into this whole process of realizing not only um, were the same places affected by these same corporations, but we were also using the same type of um, organizing with the 
corporations without any communication happening between the two of us? And how much stronger could we be together versus apart? And if it's this case in Colombia, which is very far away from Black Mesa and feels like a completely opposite world from Black Mesa, where else is this happening and where else can we go? So at one point, um, when the film initially started, we were like, do we follow the corporation? And then we were like, do we follow the people? Do we follow the struggle? Um, but our, I think our key points on what we decided to follow were accountability and emotion and like the emotional part of it. Um, we reached out to so many different places and the only places that we agreed to work with were ones that like full heartedly, full bodied, enthusiastic, consent filled. Yes. was what we got back. And we went to the, at every single step of the road, every single, um, process. And so, um, that, that was like our primary focus as well as then, um, weaving the story together through kind of that emotional part, which um, I think sometimes gets left out when talking about this, but also at the same time, sometimes it becomes the primary focus. But from uh, why should you as an outsider feel emotional for us as opposed to our emotions being the story? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for outlining that. That's a really important point. Um, so the emotions of communities affected by the systemic colonial issues you address in the film. Expanding on that, can you talk a bit about, like you talked about that, that making that link between territories. Can you break down a bit some of the like conquest um, forces that indigenous folks are fighting in this film? And just maybe, maybe you could start with your community and talk a bit about like um, if somebody's engaging with this film, what are they going to learn about in terms of present day on the, the ground struggles? Yeah, so from Black Mesa, which is where I'm from, um, there has been resistance going on since the 1960s. And really, this whole story with Peabody Cole or BHP started in the 1950s, like 1954 or 55. Um, I'm not sure of the exact year. <laughs> but uh it started in the, like, the real resistance really started up in the 1960s, gaining um, especially more of an outside force in the 1970s and 1980s, and then kind of coming to a penultimate moment in the 1990s, and then um, Peabody Cole filing for bankruptcy in 2016. Um, so we see this, like, whole, like, so I've grown up and seen this whole journey of how um, a call to action and then action can actually put certain things into play, but also by seeing how powerful a corporation is compared to um, a call for action. Um, so going in into a lot of these places, I was honestly sometimes like very shocked at seeing how successful um, their strategies were because in other places they weren't, they weren't as successful or um, maybe they just weren't as common it was definitely just very interesting to see like what worked and what didn't in each place um it was just really great to see all these people in all of these places come together and no matter what still trying to um fight for not just themselves but their future um and like the future of you know all of us and like not just our kids or our grandkids but their great-grandchildren kind of scope um a lot of these communities have been working within the climate crisis movement long before the word climate change or climate crisis was a part of this. Um, and, you know, it. we've been fighting for land and stability and to keep our culture and to keep um, things not necessarily pristine or perfect, but healthy and vibrant. Um, 
and how we work with our with the landscape and itself in order to bring that vibrancy and that healthy um, way into being. And so that's was really beautiful to see how each community did it differently um, and as well as similarly. Yeah. I love the point that you just made about this idea of the um, relationship with the uh, with the land with the environment as opposed to sort of viewing the land and environment as sort of separate from human experience right and and you know it's still not that mainstream to understand the problematics of like this concept of like the pristine environment that humans quote-unquote protect right as opposed to some of the different scenes in the film but like to dig in a bit about your community, Black Mesa, it's clear that there's an intergenerational dialogue going on and that's shown in the film. And one thing I felt was really powerful about that was you don't historicize the issue. It's like, it's about how the past is connected to the present. So could you talk a bit about like your community struggle with coal and then how that links to broader issues of the climate crisis that your film is trying to address from you know a very unique perspective which is not the common one which is more about you know relationship to territory and indigenous frameworks of you know not sort of separating human beings from the earth yeah well i think the best way to put it is i grew up being told that like we were put here to be shepherds or to like help um the planet around us and that includes the plants the trees the birds the bees and us as well as our sheep and our horses and everything um and the idea around it is that the planet like the earth was not put here for us we were put here for to benefit the earth um and so if we're not benefiting our space and if we're not continuously making something better of the space that we're on we are literally not doing our purpose of life in a huge ways um and ways that that can be set up are you know, creating beautiful pathways with food growing around them. There's um, creating a sustainable community where you have, um, you know, instead of just one household taking care of a baby, you have an entire community taking care of a little one. Or um, it's just, it, it goes on so many different levels where it really goes down into the foundational of a lot of our basic calls are sometimes to be around people and are to be around the planet and to be around the trees and the skies and the birds and everything. And it just how much we want to be a part of it. And um, that's what I was taught was to embrace those moments and to um, take that and to make it better and to make sure that um, when I'm walking in the world around me, it's not um, just for my benefit, but it's for everyone's benefit and it's for everything's benefit. Um, you know, we're trying to make our space around us better, not just for ourselves or our kids or our grandkids, but for our great grandchildren. That's something that I've been taught my entire life, um, is how do I make this cornfield more, you know, prosperous? How do I, how do I make all of this happen without taking, but by giving back into the space around, um, and that's what we see a lot in like the Philippines, even there's a moment um, where we see them talking and being like, look at this plant here that we have. This is medicine and food. And this plant has been here for generations and generations. And we've cultivated this plant. And that's incredible. That's not something that um, we see very often anymore. Um, 
you know, outside of indigenous communities. And so that's, um, it was beautiful to find those connections in both places. And also to see that, like, if we really want to move forward, if we want to actually, um, you know, do anything in this climate crisis, it isn't about necessarily stopping it or just like, we can't just like stop this train that we're already on. It's not, it's going to keep running off the tracks. But how can we take those tracks and make them covered in beautiful bushes with a beautiful sky and all of these other things around us? How do we adapt ourselves to a world that we adapted to us um and i think that i think that's one of the primary aspects of it is how to how does how do we combine you know human ingenuity and creativity with sustainability and um you know perseverance great well thanks for sharing all that so thinking about how these like really essential ideas about um, questions of the earth and culture uh, are driving a lot of the stories you tell in this film. I think that there's going to be a lot of people who are hearing this conversation who aren't aware of the intergenerational struggles in, in your community and Black Mesa around coal mining and around also territorial conquest. And um, could you uh, maybe just locate a bit of the um, specifics of that um, area and uh, just for people who are listening to maybe understand a bit of the the, the political geography of, of what you're describing. Yeah, so I'm from what is now known as Arizona, uh, Black Mesa, but um, it's definitely like, I mean, I grew up hearing this like poem my whole life, which was uh, 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue, 1493 Columbus stole all he could see. And that was like what I grew grew up hearing from people around me. And I mean, granted, Columbus did not find the Americas. He was very clearly not a very good navigator. Um, but so like looking into this, we I've grown up knowing that it's impossible to take something that can only be given that wasn't someone in the first place. You know, with the idea of like, how do you own land? Land stays, you go, like that whole concept. Um so it's it's always been interesting to like have that juxtaposition. I'm also, you know, I'm half white. I've got a very like Southern side of my family and it's to grow up within those two worlds, walking within them, that balancing act has always been really intriguing. But seeing where I live now in Flagstaff, it's like, it's considered a border town, even though it doesn't consider a border, um, a, another country because it borders so many different reservations. And to see the extreme like hatred um, towards indigenous and brown people um, growing up had always kind of had me like guarded towards the rest of the world for a long time. Um, but it really came from. So in 1864 to 1868 was the Navajo Long Walk, which was when um, uh, Kit Carson and the U.S. federal government decided to forcibly remove uh, millions of indigenous people off of their uh, off of the territory of um in Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, and Arizona, and forcibly marched them to Bosco Redondo. Um, and uh, it was the beginning of a mass uh, genocide um, that then continued on through boarding school torment or, um, you know, land removal, just burning of entire villages and communities to the ground. Um, and then, of course, now we're going through this... Um, resource extraction and colonization with uranium and coal and copper and oil and wind all being extracted out of an Navajo Nation and 
what does that do to the surrounding affected area? What does it do to the people who are mining it? Most of which happen to be Navajo. So it's a genocide hitting on all different parts, not just culturally or physically or environmentally. Um, it's, it's, it's coming from everything. Um, and so that, that's where I grew up was knowing my grandma May like marched on Washington, you know, long before I was born and she was protesting and advocating for my rights and, you know, if I were to ever have kids, their rights long before she knew I existed. And that's something that I carry with me all the time. Her mother, um, my grandma Blanche, who I grew up with, um, was doing the same thing. She was out there, you know, asking and begging and pleading while also, you know, putting her foot down and fighting very, um, very strongly to make sure that we, uh, me and all my cousins and all would be able to grow up on the land that we call home and be able to you know, raise our sheep and our cows and do all of that together. And even before that, my great great grandmother, Jenny Minnie Beads, was born in um the was born in um Bascaridondo and then um my great 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 grandmother, Yellow Woman, was fighting the cavalry during the long walk. So I can go back and I can see these series of very strong and powerful women and matriarchs in my family who have fought for me to be able to be here in this moment. Um and that's something that I, I know a lot of other Indigenous people carry forward is knowing we come from this very strong, impressive um, lineage and that they were fighting for us. And now it's our turn to fight for the ones who will call us ancestors at some point. So a, a lot of the systemic issues you have mentioned funnel into the present. And you mentioned uh you know, met many, many historical um, trajectories that are funneling into now. There's a very powerful scene in the film where you see a herder from your community um, and she's sort of talking about like a very different relationship to the land. She's talking about her experiences. Um, and so could you, can you maybe just detail like, um, Maybe you could describe that scene and also talk about how it relates specifically to the questions of like mining in the in the contemporary moment that are addressed in your film. Yeah, so I mean Louise has been part of this resistance, Louise Goyd. Like she's incredible. She is um one of my Nellie's my grandmother's sisters, so she's my Nellie by extension. Um I you know, many points in my life has stood there while I was having a bad day and you know, made fry bread with me, not like asking too many questions, but it's just like, you're doing it wrong. Here you go. You know, like takes you out of the moment, brings you back into your body, into your landscape. That's something that she's really beautiful at doing. Um, she did recently pass away before the film came out, but that doesn't mean that what she's saying isn't as important. Um, you see her and I mean, she only speaks, she only speaks the nest. She speaks Navajo. Like that's the, the language she knows. So when she's, when you're interacting with her, if you don't speak it, it becomes a lot down into the pure humanity of those moments. How do we communicate without language? And that's something that she, I've seen her do multiple times and she does it with her sheep and with her dogs and with her cows and her horses and, you know, everything around. But her being on that land, she can trace it back hundreds of generations back. Like she can go back so far. Um, and she knows so much and she was constantly teaching and bringing that forward. But she also at points in time were staring down the barrel of a gun when somebody was trying to forcibly remove her off of um, this area that she loved and knew very well. Uh, yeah, she Louise is absolutely incredible. Um, but Peabody Cole, you know, 
by polluting the land, by polluting the area around and by forcing her children to not be able to live on that land really isolated her in a way that she didn't grow up being used to. Um, and so just to always see her resilience and know that no matter what she adapted and she continued to survive in this region is, I think, something that we all um, try to take forward after knowing her. I remember that from the film, you get the sense of her really reflecting on the importance of um, intergenerational knowledge in terms of how to like relate to the land. And I remember her expressing uh, worry or the critical importance of trying to pass on that information across generations. So Peabody Coal, Black Mesa, Indigenous Territory, um, this is like one of the centers of this documentary film, Powerland, and the characters that you've mentioned. So thank you for going over that. And earlier in our conversation, you talked about how that very specific location on Earth is connected to other areas um, internationally of Indigenous struggle. You, talk, you mentioned the, f the fact the film goes to the Philippines and Colombia. Um, and so, like, thinking about you know, this question of colonization. And I think this is still not that mainstream. So, you know, I think it'd be interesting for people listening to think about um, how a lot of the historical issues you talked about um, in terms of dispossession and more like uh, notions of genocidal practice and like these policies of genocide that historically are sort of viewed in a historicized fashion. But your film connects these things to the present so in terms of like thinking about climate justice and the envi environment, can you talk about how um, connecting this past of colonial violence to the present of this intersection of colonization and environmental issues, how it's connected and how, how the film explores that? Because it does such a really good job at that. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is like a lot of where we're at currently started, you know, 50, 60, 100, 300 years ago, um, if not further back. You know, colonization has affected so many different communities, not just in the Americas, not just brown people, but all people in the world. You know, even Britain was colonized at one point in time. Um, and so what what does that do? Well, colonization takes you, it separates you from the land and the community that you know enforcing a separate community and an ideology of um, this land is for the taking as well as saying that if I can take you should be able to take and then go out and continue conquering and that's where we get this like large scale you know movement of conquering that has happened over and over again um, that we don't typically find very often unless it's going from like a, a full um colonized viewpoint and a lot of it has to deal with like greed and the idea of more as opposed to looking at what we have and how can I give this to, to people um which is what indigeneity has taught me the most is it's not about what can I take it's what can I give um and I think yeah I think a lot of people are going through like this decolonization movement and truthfully I haven't I have like an issue with the idea of decolonization because to decolonize means to take away. And at this point, we've had so much taken away. Why are we continuing to try to lose something? Um, I like the, I, I try to use the term re-indigenize, you know, bring something back to ourselves, return back to a, a thing that we have instead of removing. Um, also at this point in the world, it's 
almost impossible to truly decolonize. We, we have been affected by colonization and by ignoring that history or that where we would be allowing for it to happen again. But if we re-indigenize, we bring back our past and bring back those things, um, as opposed to taking away, we can truly move forward. Um, and that's something that I see a lot of people doing, and especially right now while we're seeing so many people affected by the climate crisis, by housing, by economics, by whatever is affecting you, by the insane work schedule we all have to do. Um, you know, we're all trying to return back to those basic moments without even realizing it, you know? I feel like I hear more and more of my friends who used to never care about gardening being like, I just got a, I just got a little square box and now I'm planting food. And it's something that we, that I love seeing and seeing these people like return back to the roots. It's initially what you want to do. You feel bad, you go outside, you go take a walk, you go make some food, you interact with people. They're all things that um, naturally come to us. And that's what indigeneity is, is those community moments um, that come to us naturally. And so I think in a huge way, like that's, um, I think in a way it's just to remind not only the people who watch the film, but also a big reminder for myself all the time, um, which is that we are all connected and we all want those same things. And, you know, just because they don't have running water or electricity, like a lot of Black Mesa or a lot of the Philippines or a lot of Colombia has, and so they can't get their story out there the same way that a lot of other people can through like TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and all these things doesn't mean that they aren't still practicing those things. It doesn't mean they don't already exist. And it doesn't mean that they don't want to share it with you. Um, they just want to do it in a more traditional sense than, um, than you know, make put, putting on all of your social media or whatever. Um, and so thankfully, there's a lot of us who are connected in that way, who... Um, you know, know how to walk in between like both that modern and traditional worlds and can interweave and can help to educate not only ourselves, but each other and as well as other people who have never come into contact with this way of life. In the film, there's sort of this weaving you see between geographies too, like you travel between these different places. And in a way, it's like almost feels like you're opening portals to what other worlds could be, you know, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, and I love how you leave space for the people in the various geographies to to share their stories. And, and, and it's just a beautiful film. So thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was a conversation with filmmaker Ivy Camille Menibid Sao about the film Powerlands. Thank you so much, Ivy, for being on the program today to speak about this important and incredible documentary film that features indigenous voices from around the world who are defending their lands from uh, extractivist industries, mining, uh, coal, um, many others. I would encourage people to check out this film, look it up, Powerlands. Thanks for tuning in to Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Christoph. We air weekly on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. CJLO 1690 AM, also in Montreal, Geogiage, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg at 10.30 p.m. on Tuesdays. CFRC 101.9 FM, Kingston, Ontario at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays. 
CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, BC on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. and Saturdays at 7 a.m. And now on Met Radio, 1280 a.m. in Toronto at 5.30 a.m. on Fridays. Free City Radio is also a podcast. Look us up on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search Free City Radio. You can find our archives at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Thank you so much for being with us. And I'll talk to you next week.